0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Group. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for other great podcasts. You're listening to CoffinCast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 25 of Cast Merry Christmas, fans! This is your host, Kristen. I put out a poll on Twitter and asked all you naughty boys and girls what you wanted for Christmas, and you cried out for the death of Rasputin, and he won by a mile. So, I suppose I should be saying, Shasli Vogo Rovestva! That's Merry Christmas in Russian. God, my Russian has improved since Diet Love Pass, hasn't it? also just a random thought that i had while i was researching this this past week i feel like adam driver could be an amazing rasputin i think he's got the look for it he's got the creepy sexy thing going on even though i didn't find rasputin to be sexy myself i think adam driver could pull it off because you don't know why you like him you kind of just do but i digress before we get into all that let's talk about a few things I got a new mic, again, but this one's amazing. I, I could do ASMR on this thing. I When I got it, I had to plug it in and play with it. That sounded funny. Either way, I had to plug it in and mess with it a little bit. That didn't sound any better. I, I, I tried it out there. That sounds a little more appropriate. So I tried it out and I swear, it's like I was, I can do so many things with this mic and it sounds so good. But anyway, let's let's get into uh, one of the fun things I read this week. So on QZ.com, they have this article about the ways that Christmas can statistically kill you. The, the ways that most people go out when they go out on Christmas. So, did you know that you can overdose on nutmeg? Yes, nutmeg. The stuff you put in gingerbread cookies and sprinkle on top of your eggnog can kill you and make you super sick but that being said it's also a psych (laughs) but that being said it's also a psychedelic drug so you can get super high off it and hallucinate but you can also get severely sick and nauseous and dizzy and even die so just get lsd or smoke pot like the rest of us also because of the overuse of alcohol and indulgence in rich foods heart attacks Go up around the holidays. Also, trees can catch fire. People fall off roofs hanging lights. Car accidents happen more during the holidays due to the weather conditions. Poinsettias and mistletoe are poisonous to ingest. So, because I love you, be extra careful this holiday. I don't want you to be an episode. Also, don't drink and drive. Don't do that. Even if you're buzzed, don't drive. So let's get into this week's topic, The Many Deaths of Rasputin. January 21st, 1869, Pokrovskoia, Siberia. The frozen winter winds raged through the small village and brought new life with them. Grigory, he was named. Grigory Rasputin. It's so weird to me. When you think about these figures, these dastardly people from the past and you think at one point they were babies they were kids it's it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it hitler was a baby at one time not comparing the two because they were very different but you know these people were babies and were completely innocent at one time and if you look at pictures of Rasputin he was a creepy looking dude he got a lot of tail But he was creepy looking. So I kind of wonder like what he looked like as a baby. Like if his mom would be showing him off at the market and go, Oh, this is my little Gregory. Isn't he a cutie? And then the people are like, Oh, yeah, that sure is a baby. You know, I don't know if (laughs) that may not be very nice. Because, you know, he might have been a cute baby. I don't know. But if it was any indication of, you know, what he looked like as an adult, he he was a pretty creepy looking dude. Pokroskoya was a peasant village, and according to records, his father, Yefim, was a farmer and a church elder. He sometimes ferried people and goods to other neighboring villages, and he and his wife Anna had seven children prior to Grigory, who all died in infancy. There may have been a younger sister, but there isn't much known about her. So due to the lack of information about his childhood, there were a lot of fabrications that were made. There were rumors about him being a criminal as a minor, with crimes such as underage drinking, blasphemy, petty thievery. He was rumored to passionately pursue women as a teen, and he had a number of notches in his bedpost by the time he reached the age of majority. One thing is known for sure. Historians report that Rasputin was, as most peasants were at the time, illiterate. There weren't public schools or things like that. For his particular station in life, he could be a farmer, a laborer, or a religious man and clearly he chose the latter. He moved away from home in 1887 to Obloch, where he met Praskovya Dubrovina. They married after a few months of courtship and had seven children, three of which survived infancy into adulthood. What happened in order to spur on Rasputin's religious awakening in 1897 is somewhat in dispute. According to some, the Virgin Mary visited and inspired him to leave his family on a, on a holy pilgrimage, Others say he was inspired by a religious teacher that had come through Obloch on a visit, and others say he was just on the run from a horse-thieving charge. Either way, he left Prazgovia and his children, Maria, Dmitri, and Varvara, to go on a religious pilgrimage to various monasteries. He settled into the St. Nicholas Monastery in Verkatory. He spent several months there before returning home complaining about the monk lifestyle, specifically the lack of lady-loving. Either way... When he returned to his wife and children, he was changed. He was now shaggy, messy, unkempt, and he became totally straight-edge. No meat, no booze. Still sex, but we'll get more into that later. He started his own little church in his hometown. It was a very clandestine kind of church. Only trusted people and family members could be a part of it. The other villagers began to wonder what was happening in that root-cellar-turned-chapel Rumors began to circulate that he was bathed by female followers before each service, and that the church was a sect of Kylistai. Let's talk about Kylistai for a minute, just to give you an idea of what people were saying. I want to preface this by saying there is no proof that he was a part of this religious sect, but there was talk, and as there tends to be in small towns, talk spreads. The Kylistai was a knockoff of the Russian Orthodox Church. They had rather lively services that included singing in tongues, self-flagellation, meaning whipping themselves until they bled. The practicers would get whipped into such a frenzy that the services would often end in orgies. Rasputin's daughter, Maria, refuted claims that her father was part of this group. She said he did investigate it, but ultimately decided not to go for that group. But in his own teachings, he believed that in order for his followers to become divine, they needed to experience sin. Rasputin began to travel as a stranic, which is essentially a holy wanderer and would leave home for sometimes years at a time. On one of these journeys, he ended up in Kazan, and it was there that he began to get a reputation as a wise man, helping the townsfolk with crises of faith and spiritual healing. Of course, there was talk of Rasputin laying pipe, or in the words of Marvin Gaye, sexual healing. Either way, the head of the Seven Lakes Monastery nearby saw how people were reacting to him. They liked the disheveled hippie from Siberia. They responded to him. He wasn't stuffy, he wasn't strict like most church heads at the time, so he recommended him to the St. Petersburg Theology Seminary. This trip to St. Petersburg was a turning point for Rasputin. In St. Petersburg, his strange ideas, particularly redemption through sin, seemed to resonate with the upper class. It excused their worst thoughts and behaviors, and moreover made them not only okay, but commendable. Rich women, in particular, took a liking to Rasputin. He had some healing hands, that Rasputin, and those healing hands found their way into many corsets and up a few skirts. While some spoke about his odor, his blackened teeth, his dirty beard, his messy clothes, many spoke about his piercing blue eyes. One woman wrote in her diary, quote, "What eyes he has. You cannot endure his gaze for long. There is something difficult in him. It is like you can feel the physical pressure even though his eyes sometimes glow with kindness, but how cruel they can be and how frightful in anger." His entree into the royal family came from two princesses from Montenegro. Miletisa, and Anastasia. They were married to the Grand Dukes Peter and Nikolai Niklovich, respectively, and the Grand Dukes were cousins to Tsar Nicholas II. Tsar Nicholas was introduced to Rasputin by these women at Peterhof Palace. Nicholas marked the occasion in his diary probably as such. November 1st, 1905. Dear diary, today I met this hottie from the Toblosk province. He's so cute. G-R plus N-R equals forever. Just kidding, he didn't do that. But he did write, made the acquaintance of a man of God, Grigory from the Toblos province. Before we continue, we're going to take a short break and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Anchor. But first, I'd like to tell you about my friends from Eat Crime. These are two... Very funny ladies, and I would like for them to tell you a little bit about themselves before we get into Anchor and paying the bills and whatnot. And then we will continue with the story and talk a little bit about Nicholas and Alexandra. Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Caitlin. And we're the hosts of Eat Crime, Crime, a podcast full of delicious mysteries. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Eat Crime and on Facebook, Eat Crime Pod. Here's a few examples of what you'll hear. Laurencia and Bambi Bendenack. Do what now? And he he had like secretly taken that copy. I don't know why. I don't know why. (laughs) To murder her? (laughs) To murder her. And I was like, I can't imagine a mom naming their kids Dante Dante and Dante. Dante. We're not in a (laughs) satanic cult. Yes, I don't know. Let's make that abundantly clear. She seems like she... Provocativity? Is that a word? She provocativity. Which, I mean, what a business, man. I know, yeah. that's what I'm We're saying. Like, people yeah. and got paid for it. It's both true that there is a Conjuring too, and Conjuring 2 is true. Oh, Valerie, God. get out of here. Tsar no. Nicholas and his wife, Serena Alexandra, had four beautiful daughters. Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia. They had one son and heir, Tsarovich Alexei. He was the baby of the family and was affectionately known as Alusha. Unfortunately, Alexei inherited hemophilia from his mother's side of the family, traced back to his great-grandmother, Queen Victoria of England. His case was so severe that even a bruise was life-threatening. The fact that her genes caused such a dangerous condition in her little Alucia caused her much grief and guilt. Alexandra asked Rasputin to please pray over her little boy in the spring of 1907 after he suffered an internal hemorrhage. He did so, and the little boy was better the next day. Now, Alexandra was convinced that Rasputin was the real deal. Nicholas wasn't so convinced, but he loved his wife and didn't want to break her faith. One day, in the summer of 1912, Alexei was at the family hunting grounds and got into a rowboat and hit one of the oars, which smacked him in the leg, giving him a hematoma. It seemed to be innocuous and was healing nicely on its own. That is, until the carriage ride home. The ride was a particularly bumpy one and during the ride, the hematoma ruptured. His temperature rapidly rose, his heartbeat dropped, and he was carried from the carriage unconscious. His condition worsened, and he received his last rites. Alexandra held vigil at his side. She was so afraid of losing not only the male heir to the throne, but also the son she loved so dearly. She confided her desperation to her best friend, Anna Vyarbova, who in turn... Turn to our old hippie friend, Rasputin, who had returned home to his family for a while. On October 12, 1912, a telegram was sent to Rasputin to please come at once. He returned one back, stating, quote, The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. Two days after Alexandra received the telegram, Alexei's bleeding promptly stopped. By now, Alexandra was sure that this was a miracle, and that Rasputin was a miracle worker and soon the whole royal family agreed. Rasputin was now gaining celebrity. He went to all the parties and began to do what a man of God would do with such power and celebrity. He began to accept bribes and sexual favors for blessings and access to the royals. Soon he began to offer advice to the royal couple, first just on spiritual matters, then on bigger political matters. Rasputin and the Empress spent hours talking about religion and soon other things. He would tell her that she and her husband were equivalent to God in his eyes and that he would never lead them astray, and that all the emperor's advisors were dishonest and did not care for the people of Russia or their tears. He assured them that God was looking over them and would protect them from all harm. His influence was not lost on these advisors, and rumors began to circulate that the empress was having an affair with Rasputin, and that he was cuckolding the emperor. I'm using Emperor and Tsar interchangeably, so forgive me if it gets a little confusing. This, as well as Rasputin's proximity to the princesses, began to damage Nicholas's reputation, which would eventually lead to his undoing, but that is for another episode. And Rasputin did nothing to dissuade people from thinking that the Empress was a notch on his bedpost. In fact, he boasted about it. Many people believe this was untrue, however, due to the love between the empress and the czar, as well as the empress's prudish nature. But either way, even if he didn't have royal ladies in bed, he had plenty of others from high-ranking families. He would preach that physical contact with his body could heal any woman. He had wealthy groupies throwing themselves at him. Not only that, but some husbands were sending their wives and other female family members to his bachelor pad, an apartment set up for him in St. Petersburg in hopes of gaining his favor. And office hours were always open. The moment he set foot in the door to the moment he'd leave, people were coming in and out. Policemen were set up to guard his place and said that women of all sorts, prostitutes, peasant women, aristocratic ladies would be in and out of his place at all hours. The police reports describe sounds of drunken parties, rough sex, even beatings that would last into the next day. On July 12, 1914, a peasant woman named Chionia Guseva stabbed Rasputin in the stomach while he was on a visit home with his family in Pokrovsky. Guseva was a follower of a priest and once supporter of Rasputin named Eliodor, who had denounced Rasputin for his proclivities. Guseva, however, stated that she acted alone. After reading about Rasputin in the papers, she believed him to be a false prophet and an antichrist. It is widely believed that Iliodor did have something to do with it, as he did ditch Russia before he could be questioned. At the time, it was unsure if Rasputin would survive. But after many months, he did recover, but his daughter said the stress from the attack caused him to drink heavily. Things did not change much after the attempt. Rasputin tried to persuade Nicholas to stay out of World War I, saying it would be disastrous to Russia. This was one of the few times that Nicholas did not listen to Rasputin. Rasputin then asked to be able to bless the troops before they left. The commander-in-chief of the Russian forces, Grand Duke Nicholas, the Tsar's cousin, responded by saying if he dared to show up, he would promise to have him hanged. This pissed off Rasputin royally, no pun intended. So he then told Tsar Nicholas that the troops would fail unless the Tsar took over command of the troops personally, and ousted the Grand Duke. And Nicholas listened. He became the commander-in-chief of the Russian forces. This was seen as Nicholas taking absolute power over the government, which did not endear him to his people. Nicholas had no idea how to lead an army, and it was going to turn into a horrible mess, which again is for another episode. All the same, with Nicholas now out of the picture leading the troops, Alexandra, who it should be noted is of English and German descent, was called a spy for the Germans, and she was under the thumb of a religious madman. Now Nicholas would shrug off these accusations for the most part. If anyone spoke formally against Rasputin or his wife, they would be dismissed of their duties. Rasputin knew he had a hold on the royals, and he made sure any clergy member who opposed him knew it too. The nobles that had not been seduced by Rasputin were keen to see him removed from the court. With the economy suffering and World War I not going very well for Russia, people were eager to place blame. Blame was placed on Rasputin. Not only Rasputin, but the Empress and the Emperor who allowed him to hold such sway over them. Enough was enough. Rasputin was now a threat to the empire. A group of nobles, including Prince Felix Yusupov, husband to the Tsar's niece, Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, and a politician opposed to the total rule of the Tsar, Vladimir Purishkevich, decided it was time to take out Rasputin. On December 30, 1916, Rasputin was invited to the Prince's Moika Palace. He arrived shortly after midnight and was taken into the basement. There, he was given tea and cakes laced with cyanide. He ate them, and there seemed to be no effect whatsoever. Rasputin asked if he could have some Madeira wine, which was also poisoned. And he had three glasses. No dice. It was now 2.30am at this point, and the prince was like, What the actual fuck? He excused himself and went upstairs to where the other guys were waiting. I presume the prince said something like, dudes, it's not working, what the fuck do we do now? Pavlovich handed him a revolver. The prince went back downstairs and told Rasputin to look at a particularly nice crucifix on the wall, and to say a prayer. He then busted a cap in his chest. They had a guy dress up in Rasputin's hat and coat, and dropped him off at his place to make it look like Rasputin returned home. When the prince went back to the basement to check on the body, he was accosted by a not-so-dead Rasputin. Rasputin attacked him, and they had a fight, and the prince freed himself and ran upstairs. Rasputin chased after him and into the palace's courtyard, where Perishkovic shot him again, and he collapsed in the snow. His body was wrapped in cloth, and then he was dropped off the Petrovsky Bridge and into the Malaya-Nivka River. He was finally dead. His body was discovered under the ice on the 1st of January. The autopsy report stated that Rasputin died of three gunshot wounds, one to the forehead, which was the finishing blow. The coroner also marked that a lot of the injuries sustained happened post-mortem. Even though there was a rumor about it, no, Rasputin's penis was not severed. Rasputin was buried on January 2nd at a small church and his funeral was only attended by the royal family and a few close friends. When the Tsar abdicated the throne in 1917, Rasputin's body was exhumed and burned, so as not to give the people who supported Tsar Nicholas a place to rally. Rasputin's daughter Maria became somewhat of a character in her own right. She moved to France after the revolution and worked as a dancer and lion tamer in the circus. She also wrote three memoirs about her father, stating a lot of the bad things that were said about him was just slander from his enemies. Maria was also a self-proclaimed psychic. And she also accepted that Anna Anderson was the missing daughter of Tsar Nicholas Anastasia. She later recanted this. She ended up dying in Los Angeles in 1977. So that's it for the episode on Rasputin. Um he was a ladies man he was not a great man was he as bad as they say maybe maybe not there was some some weirdness there definitely i don't think he had an affair with the empress though i think that was just propaganda really and you may notice that um the end of this episode is a little bit louder because i have moved the mic closer to me I noticed that there was a weird hum when I was recording when it was on my desk because I believe that it was a little too close to my computer. So just a little technical note there. Not that you need to know that, but just in case you're wondering. So that's it for this week. I hope you have an amazing Christmas. I'm still kind of looking into what I want to do for next week. Um, I'm thinking about a few things. We did do the poll and second place was the Jenny Jones murder. So I probably will be doing that Unless something really cool grabs my attention. Um, And then after that, we'll be doing wrestling ring deaths. So look forward to that. I know I have a lot of wrestling followers on Twitter. So you guys look forward to that. This has been a really great week for me. The the episode with Kevin Allison was a record-breaking episode. It got 100 listens in a week. Which wasn't attached to me getting a tattoo or anything like that it was just purely on the episode itself so again i really want to thank kevin allison for doing that he was amazing and he's he's looking he said that he'd like to do it again next year which is great um i really appreciate him you know being into it as much as he was i was definitely into it too it was a lot of fun and i think it was my best episode it was a lot of fun having somebody to bounce ideas off of and talk to so thank you again, Kevin. Also, um, the winner of the contest did claim his prize, so he's got part of it now. The shirt's a little delayed, and then I'm going to be mailing out his Funko figure um, after Christmas because I don't want to have to go to the post office before Christmas because it's going to be crazy. I might do it before if I have a chance, but I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I will see you next week. I'm not taking any time off because because the hustle is real man the struggle is real and i want to make sure that i'm getting episodes out to you that you can enjoy over the holidays so where can you find me you can find me on twitter at coffincast with a capital c on instagram at coffincastpod you can also find me on facebook i think you just put in coffincast and it'll show up somewhere also, if you feel, you know, if you're feeling generous, if you've got a buck in your pocket that you're looking to burn, join my Patreon, patreon.com slash CoffinCast. Tours as low as $1 and benefits start at $1. So definitely look into that. If you can spare it, it would be great and helpful. Also support the show by rating it. Rate it on Podchaser, rate it on Apple Podcasts, rate it anywhere that you can. And subscribe and follow, do all that good stuff. And... If you have any ideas or any constructive feedback, email me at CoffinCastPod at gmail.com. Also, CoffinCast.com is up. It's not great. Um, Definitely need to work on it, but I'm not a web designer, but I will have some time off over the holidays, and I'll play with it a little bit and make sure it looks better than it does right now. But it's there if you want to see it. And also, I'm a big... um, (laughs) Also, I'm a big... I'm a part of the Big Heads Media group now, and that means I have merchandise on their website, so if you go to bigheadsmedia.com, you can find their shop, and you can find my shop in there, and there's t-shirts and sweatshirts, so take a look, see if there's anything you like, and, you know, it, it helps me make a better podcast, so with that, I'm going to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy whatever you celebrate, Happy having a couple weeks off if... You just are getting time off work and not celebrating anything. And as always, life is but a dream walking, but death is going home. Love you. Have a great week. I'll see you next Monday.